If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. There are two miracles in the Gospels that we often get confused They're the the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. I remember one time discussing with someone a couple of the details of one of those stories, and uh, I I got them mixed up because these are so similar. But I want to share some thoughts from those miracles together today. This shows us a lot about Jesus' compassion. We will talk about and we will focus on the bread and the fish But ultimately, these were done because Jesus had compassion for the multitude. And it teaches us that if we want to be like Christ, we've got to learn his mindset. We've got to see people the way he sees people. And if we do that, it'll help us in the way we react to those things that we witness as it did for Christ and and for some of the disciples. It's interesting that the feeding of the 5,000 is recorded in all four Gospels. That's rare. Not all the miracles are found in all four of the Gospel accounts. The second one, which we'll discuss, which is the feeding of the 4,000, only appears in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Mark. And so I've chosen the text from Mark for us to focus on. London just read for us there in Mark chapter 6. And so again, if you'll open up there, you'll you'll notice this text. I want you to begin by recognizing the basis for this miracle. Look again at verse 30. It says, The apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, but uh, both what he, they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves, But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was, I want you to notice this, was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. The miracle begins out of Jesus' compassion. And that's the story in a lot of the miracles, is he sees something and he reacts to it. One who follows God has got to get that mindset that when I see that there is a need, I want to meet that need in the best possible way and ultimately to give God glory for whatever might happen. But notice he says he wants his disciples to rest. Maybe you've had those moments where you say, today I'm going to take a day off. I'm going to just take it easy today. I think that most days, don't you? I'll tell you what, I love my Fridays and Saturdays. I'm going to just, I'm just going to rest. Some of us maybe take a little nap in the afternoon. We might sleep in a little bit late. 
And we have those moments where we go, man, I am, I'm exhausted. But the work of the Lord continues on. The funny thing to me, too, about Jesus seeing the compassion of them is notice that they are, they're on one side of the sea. They jump in the boat, and he says, I want you to go over here to a deserted place in the middle of nowhere, and I want you to rest. We're going to go on retreat together. And when the people saw him leaving the boat, what did they do? They ran along the seashore until they got to where the boat was going to land. That means that the entire time they're making this journey across the sea, there are people on foot just hoofing it. Are they going to land there? Are they going to land there? And they're trying to get to the place where they're going to stop. So the rest is out the window. They're not going to be able to have a moment of silence to themselves. It's customary Jesus would do this. He would take his disciples to a place of rest, or he himself would go up to a mountain to pray alone. And this is one of those unique moments where he says, I know you guys are exhausted. Let's take a moment to rest and then they follow him along the seashore. And, and imagine, if you will, if you've ever seen somebody herding sheep, or if you've ever seen someone herding cows, or any kind of an animal, you know, you kind of get them into a bunch, and they kind of move around, and you move them this way, and you move them that way. That's the way Jesus sees them on the seashore. Is he see the, sees them as sheep just kind of moving along the water, trying to find a place to rest. And he provides that rest. Because where he stops, they stop. Where he gets out and his disciples get out and set down, they will set down. So that's why he's moved like a shepherd for sheep. He sees them wandering around trying to find a place to rest. And this qualifies him for a lot of things as the good shepherd. That's how much he loves his sheep. And some of these, which we will see here in just a moment... Uh, are of Gentile persuasion, which is interesting. Remember a few weeks ago, I talked about each side of the Sea of Galilee. There's a, one side that's mostly a Jewish settlement, and on the other side, it's mostly Gentile settlements. And so he's now brought them to a place here in the middle of nowhere, and they're going to hear him preach. We see his authority. We see his power. Notice beginning of verse 35. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour, they're already, already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. <laughs> oh, you got to love Jesus' humor. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. Now think for a moment here, if you will. He's got about 5,000 people here, not including women and children. They've talked all day long. Remember, this is supposed to be retreat day. This is day off. So they're exhausted. And they get there, and the solution is maybe if they're hungry, they need to go to the surrounding cities. Now, if you're a Gentile, you wouldn't go to a Jewish city for food, no matter how hungry you were. Same as the reverse. Now, they're in a deserted place. They might be able to get across back to where they came from by walking along the shoreline, but it's far too much of a journey. They would have gone in the dark. They would have had to get there, and then they wouldn't be able to come back in time. So Jesus just says, well, you, if you guys think they're hungry, just feed them. And they have nothing. Well, what do, we get? what do we got? So they start looking for scraps. This is kind of what happens in the next miracle, too, is they begin, well, somebody got some food? Anybody got anything? 
And they piece together what little bit of food they have, and it's almost as if they go to Jesus and say, you can't work with this. And this is, we, we, there's no way we can feed everybody. But I'll tell you what, you bring something to Jesus, he's going to make something big out of something small. And he takes this little bit of food and he multiplies it. Now, my brain can't quite comprehend how this little bit of food is made into enough to feed a multitude. But somehow, as Jesus breaks it, and by the way, he has a special way of breaking bread. It's how they figured out who he was in Luke 24. He's that guy, you know, there on the road to Emmaus. But when he broke bread, they knew it was Jesus. And so he has a special way of breaking the bread and blessing the bread. And he's able to multiply it, multiply the fish. And, and he sets him down and, and he performs this wonderful miracle it says he sets them down in groups on the grass. That shows his crowd control tactics. He's able to put them in organized groups. <clears throat> Have you ever been at an event before where it's just kind of helter-skelter? Everybody's all over the place. You don't know, we need to be here, need to be there. We were at the emergency room last night. That's another story, but we were there for a little bit. And, and, and this lady came in. She goes, what's the protocol here? <laughs> and I said, you need to go to that window. And she said, well, are you all in line? And I said, no, we're good. We're good. And so uh, we, we all sit there and we wait. But there's a protocol when you come in, you got to get in a line to get to the window. And then you get in the window and you go back to, the, emergency, or to the, the waiting department. And then you go back into a room and they tell you what you need to do. But there's a process. And if you've been a part of the process, if you've been a part of the planning and the organization, you're okay with it. But if you don't know how it's supposed to go, then you got trouble. Sometimes we'll go into a store like Walmart or even Dollar General now has the scan and go and you'll get up there and something doesn't work. Happens to me every time I go to Lowe's. I go in and I'm, I'm going to do the quick way to check out, right? So I go and I start scanning stuff and something comes up wrong. You got, well, I need some help over here. But we know if there's a system in place and we've respected the system, we know how it works, then we understand what needs to happen and when it needs to happen. So the disciples see Jesus working. And I want you to notice here again how he does it in groups. He's doing it almost as a, a, in a militant way. In fact, it's, it's kind of seen here in the way that it's described in military words. So it's no wonder, which we'll see later, that they want to try to make him a king. They want to make him a general. They want Jesus to go marching in. We'll be your soldiers. And they want him to march into Jerusalem and run out all the Romans. But this is typical of someone who is orderly and organized. Now, who better to be able to multiply a little bit of stuff than the one who was there at creation? You see, Jesus, according to John chapter 1, is a part of the creation event. And so he organizes and plans each day. And now here he is organizing the people and making sure that they get all of their needs met. So he's controlling the crowd. And I love also there's leftovers and sometimes whenever in our house, you say, well, there's nothing to eat. I can take you to the pantry and show you 20 things. It just takes a little more time. you got to fix it. you got to prepare it. There are plenty of things to eat. They had very, very little. They certainly didn't have enough to feed the whole crowd. So Jesus, in performing this miracle, must have somehow done it in such a way that there were leftovers. Now, how do I know that? Well, keep reading with me and you'll see. This is a, uh, in verse 39. He commanded them to make them sit down in the green grass. In verse 40, so they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when they had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, gave it to his disciples to set before them in the two fish, and he divided among them all. 
So they ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. It says they took up 12 baskets full. Now, do you remember last week when we were studying the story of Jesus walking on the water? We talked about Jesus and how he, he uh, when he was asleep in the boat, they, they wake him up and tell him they think they're going to die. These stories show the power of God, but 12 basketfuls is going to play a part in a later story because they needed to know that God was going to provide for them. They needed to see Jesus is giving basically each of them their own basket. Because there are 12 apostles and there are 12 baskets. So in the planning and the preparation of Jesus feeding this group, he provides overflow for his apostles. You know, God is like that in our life. He always provides for us, but he also gives us excess. He gives us overflow. Just when you think you've really touched the hem of God's grace, you realize you aren't there yet. There is no limit to what God can do. And when you think God has done all that He can do, you just sit back and watch. He's got some leftovers for you. And they're going to need it. In a future story, they're going to need those leftovers. And that's the way God works. You say, well, I need help in this. He's with you, and He's two steps ahead of you. He knows what you need. And when they bag up these leftovers and prepare them to go out on their trip, again, Provision is made for them to continue their journey. Now I want you to move over to chapter 8, and we'll see another story here real quickly. And Jesus does the same thing, but he does it in a different context. Now as you're turning over there, just recognize that the Jews are finding their way to Jesus. The Gentiles are finding their way to Jesus. They want an audience with him. So Jesus is approached by this woman who is Greek. She's a Syrophoenician by birth who had a daughter possessed by a demon, and Jesus interacts with her. He heals her. There's no doubt in the minds of Jesus, all things are well, 737, it says that. And as the ability to heal the deaf, he has the ability to heal the mute, he has the ability to heal the paralyzed, he's healed uh, people cursed with demons. He's done all that. There is nothing beyond his ability. So the crowds began to gather up again, and this time again in the Gentile area where they had moved into. And the crowd begins to enswell or to come around him. Notice verse 1. In those days, the multitude, very great, having nothing to eat. Well, it's the same thing we see, don't for for chapter 6. Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days. Last time it was just one. Three days and I have nothing to eat. And I send them away hungry to their own houses. They'll faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, Boy, you got to love this. Jesus does it every time. How many loaves do you have? And they say seven. I mentioned before previously from Mark chapter 5, Jesus tells them after they fished all night, try the other side of the boat, as if that's going to help. But it does. The command seems strange. But it was the right thing in the right time. Later on, Jesus does the same thing in John chapter 21. They all fish all night. He's standing on the seashore. They see him in the distance. And he says, have you caught anything? No, we fished all night, caught nothing. And he says the same thing. He says in Mark chapter 5, try the other side of the boat. So when they come to him with the same problem, he tells them the same solution. 
Why don't you guys get them some food? Well, we don't have any food. And apparently, they must have had a little bit of bread left over. And he says, what? He says, go give them what you have. How many loaves do you have? And they say seven. That's the perfect number, right? Not quite the 12 leftovers from the previous story, but they got seven baskets of bread. And so he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and I'm assuming very much like he did in the previous story. They take the seven loaves, and they gave, gave thanks. They broke it and gave to them, the disciples, to set before them. And they set them before the multitudes. They set it all out. They also had a few small fish. Well, that's a great part of the story we needed to know. It's not just bread. They also have some fish. Because they know what Jesus has done before. Maybe his comments to them trigger, you know, well, what happened in the previous chapter? I have compassion. I want to feed him. What do you want to do? Well, why don't you find some food? Same thing. This time, seven loaves and just a few fish. And it says after he blessed it, verse 7, he sat them before them also here. Verse 8, so they ate and were filled and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Again, he's providing. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000 and he sent them away. Immediately got into the boat with his disciples and he came to the region of Dalmanutha. Now when you see this story, I want you to notice the crowds are following him. And the multitudes are following him no matter where he goes. He can be in the middle of the desert, he can be on the seashore, he can be on a mountain. They want to be with Jesus. And Jesus takes the time. We should never be too busy as a Christian to talk to people. To talk to people that are in need. It should, it should burden us and it burden our heart when we see people that need something and we're supposed to provide. Scriptures teach us very plainly not to say one James talks about being warm and filled. You know, hope you find what you're looking for and we don't provide it. Jesus has compassion and he meets the need. And the crowds keep coming. So again, the disciples are tested. This is an important lesson for us. Sometimes when things happen... God allows it to happen to see how we'll react to it. He gives us the free will to choose. And if we don't pass the test, we may go through it again. And if our reaction is to run away or to not deal with it or bury it under the rug, we're going to face it again and again and again until we seek God's will and do it right. So the testing of the disciples was meant to be a blessing moving forward. That's maybe why it only happens two times. I guess on the third time, they, they finally get it. And again, more leftovers. More leftovers. Seven baskets this time. Again, a, a perfect number. And the feeding of this huge group, they're, they're recognizing. I want you to see again the spiritual numbers that are used, 12 and 7. Good numbers to study from a biblical perspective. God is saying, through Jesus, I will always provide. I'll always give you what you need. Well, that's what happened then. So what do we learn from it? Real quickly. Some application. First of all, there's a danger of misunderstanding. The reaction to Jesus was his miracles. Many times people went to see the miracles and they didn't hear the message. Or they were given a message and maybe they, they thought about it for a moment, but their minds always went back to the miraculous part of Jesus' work. We forget that Jesus also holds the role of prophet and as he preaches and as he teaches, the message was supposed to convict. But some people won't hear the message, but they will see the miracle. They will see what God is doing, but they have no concept of the how it's done, why it's done. And oftentimes, when we try to minister to people, we go with the gospel. We go with the, the aspect that we want to teach them. 
We want to preach to people. We want to go out and convict people of sin. And that's important. But Jesus doesn't start with that. He starts by feeding them. And they enjoy the meal together, and he also teaches them. They come for the miracle, they stay for the sermon. Jesus' ministry is a great example to us. There are going to be people who misunderstand what we do. John's gospel account tells us at this point that he wants to make him a king. That They want to make Jesus a king and ride into Jerusalem and do these things he's able to organize, he's able to provide. And Jesus, of course, wants nothing to do with that. His goal was not to come and become an earthly king. It wasn't to drive out the Romans. It was a misunderstanding of his purpose here. His purpose was not to live longer. It was to die for humanity. The second thing I think about is the covetousness. Some people seek Jesus for the wrong reasons. They want the physical things. They want the food provided. This is a, a fad, if you will, that's happened among people today. If you don't believe it, turn on your television and watch religious programs. They say, if you do this, you'll be blessed. If you give money, you'll get more. And that, that idea of covetousness, of wanting something, is why some people choose to follow God. They want something in return for it. They want the bread. They want the fish. They want the miracle. But that's not why we follow Jesus. I often say that When we get to heaven, I'm not worried about a robe and a crown. I'm not worried about seeing golden streets. I could care less what the place is made of. I just want to see Jesus. And when Jesus does these miracles, he's doing physical things. But at some point, it's got to click. Who is this man? He's doing these things, but he's doing them not just for immediate blessing. He's doing them so that it might trigger in your mind he could be the one we're looking for. He's, he could be the Messiah. He could be the great prophet. He could be the one that's like Moses that God was going to raise up. We also see the danger of falling away. The fear that maybe in the middle of all this stuff, they wouldn't see it. Or maybe they saw it for a moment and it would fade away. These people that are in these crowds, some of them had to have been in Jerusalem. They had to have been there when he was marched down the street all the way up and to that cross. They had to have known the cries from the temple and the speaking loudly about Jesus being crucified. They would have known those things. And at this moment, they're there for the food. They're there for this message. And they leave and they've they've been affected by it in some way. But where are they when Jesus goes to the cross? Even his own disciples would fall away. We shouldn't let that happen today. We follow Jesus wherever he goes. We do whatever he says. There's the danger of monotony in that it becomes kind of a pattern, if you will. I wonder sometimes in the miracles of Jesus if they ever got, okay, Jesus, perform your miracle so we can go on to the next town. There's one moment where John and James kind of show that a little bit whenever they're in Samaria and they're not getting reception to the message. And they say to Jesus, shouldn't we just call down fire and burn the city to the ground? They've missed the whole point. But they expect that whenever they need it, Jesus is just going to perform a miracle and he's going to move right on with the next story. There's a danger in doing things out of repetition. There's a danger of discontent. See the need? they got nothing to eat. You see the reflection of love? He has compassion. The consideration of grace? I don't want to see them go to their homes hungry. I don't want them to, he says, faint on the way. You see the command asking them to trust him by saying, you need to sit down and bring me what you've got. 
You see the manifestation of his power when it says there 4,000 and previously 5,000 of the men. And you see the abundance, the supply. It's more than they could contain, more than they could hold. There's also danger of complacency, that they might become somewhat um, uh, immune to it. They look at it and say it's just another miracle. It's just something else that Jesus did. You know, we often say, if I could just see one miracle, if I, could, if, I, if I could just see one thing, if God would just open up the sky and tell me one thing, I would, I would never have another doubt. John says in John 21, he says it in chapter 20 at the end as well, the world couldn't contain the strolls if you wrote down everything Jesus did. And he had 12 guys that saw miracle after miracle after miracle. They saw him raise the dead, heal the sick, cast demons out of people, and only one went to the cross. Only one followed him all the way. So there is a danger that I might become complacent. That I might become, you know, immune to it. Just say, well, you know, this is just the way God works. This is just what he does. We must stand in awe of God every day. Man, I just can't even imagine how great God is. And the things that happen to me in my life, I give grace, I give glory to God, but I also see it in somebody else's life. And I say, you know who's doing that? You know who just did that in your life? That was God. His, his mercy was upon you. His strength was in you. His blessing was provided to you. And the final thought is the danger of ungratefulness. I wonder if the people thanked him. I don't know why, but that has always been a thought of feeding that many people. If you have people over to your house and they eat with you, they usually say thank you for the meal, thank you for the time you've spent together with us, but feeding this many people, did they come up and say thank you? Or was there an expectation that Jesus' presence so it better happen? When God does things in my life, it ought to change me. It ought to change me. Every single time God answers a prayer, Every time I get on my knees and ask for strength, when I see his redemption, when I really have those moments and I can comprehend the amount of God's grace that is given to me, when I pause for a moment and think about what it took for Jesus to be on the cross in my place, to bear my sin, to, to cover my shame, to give me full redemption, I can't walk away unchanged. It ought to leave me feeling stronger than it did before. I want to remind you that these miracles are not just miracles to show us that Jesus is the Christ. That's part of it. But it's also meant to help us see, as the stories are recorded one after the other, what did they do with that message? Well, some of the guys got together and wrote it down. They had to tell people about it. Jesus providing the bread was not for physical nourishment. It was in hopes by providing the bread that they would see him as the bread of life. When he provided drink for them, it wasn't just that he might quench their thirst, it was so that he might show him, show them that he is the one source of living water. And whenever he brings light back into the eyes of those that are blind, it's not so that they might see physically, but a reminder that he is the light of the world. Every miracle was done not just for physicality, it was done so that they might open their eyes spiritually to who He is. And when God works in your life, 
When God does something amazing for you, you cannot, you must not keep it to yourself. You tell as many people as possible. And I'm not just talking about typing something on social media. That's probably the easiest thing you can do. I'm talking about talking about God every day. Talking about Jesus every single day. Do you know what God's done in my life? Do you know God has answered my prayers? And we need to be just like this story. These individuals that experience it. But then what are we going to do with it? This morning, I don't know what you're struggling with. We, I mentioned every Sunday, we've had more responses to the invitation than anywhere I've ever preached in the last few months. And every time somebody comes up, I say the same thing. And that is that you have a family here that is compassionate. That we love each other and we're looking around at a lot of wounded people. We're looking around, we're all sinners, we all make mistakes. But this is also a place where you can be real and you can be yourself. And if you're struggling, you pour it out, there ain't going to be judgment here. We're not going to condemn you. We're not going to tell you how dare you do those things. But we're going to say, hey, you can get up and we're going to take you arm in arm and help you through it. We're going to walk with you through whatever you're facing. And we want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. And we also want to remind you that Jesus took the cross of shame and he bore your sin. Not just so that you would love him. Not just so that you would accept him. But that you would follow him every day for the rest of your life. If you want to make the decision to follow Jesus, if you'll come and say, I confess Christ, I know that he is the Son of God, I don't want to live that past life that I once lived, I want to repent, I want to change, I want to be immersed in the blood of Jesus, that baptistry is ready, and we're ready to help you. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldswrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldswrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.